Well, today we are continuing in our series in the book of Ruth called Finding Hope in a Fallen World. So I hope you have your Bibles as uh, we open up God's Word each and every time we uh, present God's Word here on Sundays through this live stream. And, and, uh, and so grab your Bibles and turn with me again to Ruth chapter 2, Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and follow along as I read here. We're in Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord and the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to meet with us in a special way this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for this example here in the book of Ruth set before us and just the lessons that we can glean from it, Lord, that we can learn. Lord, meet with us. Even though we are scattered across this city in our homes, we, with people who are watching, Lord, uh, speak to our hearts, open up our minds to see our need for you, And we thank you for what you are about to do in the next few minutes by your spirit and by your word, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, years ago, there was a college football coach who hired an assistant coach to help him with recruiting football players. And so the head coach sat his new assistant coach down and said, Now listen, Mike, when you recruit, there are three kinds of football players. There's the kind of player that when he gets hit, he stays down. 
And Mike says, Coach, we don't want that kind of football player, do we? And the coach said, No, we don't want that kind of football player. And then the coach said, But Mike, there's also the kind of player that when he gets knocked down, he gets back up. And when he gets knocked down again, he stays down. And Mike said, We don't want that football player either, do we, Coach? And Coach said, That's right. And then the coach said, But Mike, there's another kind of football player. When you knock him down, he gets back up. Knock him down again, he gets back up. Knock him down again, and he still gets back up. In fact, no matter how many times you knock him down, he gets back up. And Mike, the assistant coach, said, Coach, that's the guy we want, don't we? And the coach said, No, we don't want him either. We want you to recruit the guy that keeps knocking everybody down. Now, perhaps that is you. Not the one who's knocking people down, but you're the one getting knocked down. You ever been knocked down in life? That is, you've hit rock bottom. And perhaps you might find yourself there even now this morning. Difficulties and disappointments have knocked you down. And you feel like you've hit rock bottom. Well, rock bottom is where Ruth and Naomi find themselves here in the beginning of chapter 2. In chapter 1, we have already seen that God's hand fell hard on Naomi and Ruth. Uh, Naomi's family, she started from a state of fullness, you might remember, with a husband and two sons. But now she's reduced to this state of emptiness as a widow with no one around to take care of her. Naomi is, is the only one left with her pesky Moabite daughter-in-law named Ruth. And Naomi isn't too sure whether Ruth is an asset or an encouragement. One blow after another has left Naomi bitter against the Lord. In fact, she's so bitter she can't even see the signs of hope in her life, such as God giving his people bread and God giving her faithful daughter-in-law, Ruth. So Naomi did her best to urge Ruth to go back to Moab. But Ruth would not listen to her, please. She would not be turned aside from her commitment to Naomi, and most of all, her commitment to Naomi's God, the one true living God. And so Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem, but they returned with nothing except each other. They are two destitute widows. They are dirt poor with no one to take care of them. In many ways, Naomi and Ruth have hit rock bottom. And the question at hand is, will God provide for them in such situations? Is God dependable? Will he show up when we need him most? And the answer from Ruth chapter 2 here is absolutely yes, In fact, we're going to see that God graciously provides for those who faithfully live for Him. And so when you hit rock bottom in life, here's the big idea. Here's the main lesson to take away. Don't give up. Instead, fix your hope on God's amazing grace. Now, in the midst of the darkness at the end of Ruth 1, there was this ray of light beginning to peek through. We ended Ruth 
chapter 1, verse 22, with these words. It says, And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. It was the beginning of what? Barley harvest. What was in Bethlehem at the very beginning of Ruth chapter 1? A famine. But now, here in the beginning of Ruth chapter 2, there's food. That means there's hope. And this is a sign of God's grace at work in the lives of his people. But like Naomi, so often when we've hit rock bottom, we can't see God's grace at work in our lives. We can't see the ray of hope that's peeking through the darkness. And so what do we need to do in order to find hope? We need to follow Ruth's example and do what she did here in this chapter. In many ways, and here's what I love about Ruth. Ruth is the very personification of the famous words there in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. That is Ruth summarized. Now, what did Ruth do here in these first 13 verses of chapter 2? Well, that we can imitate, that we can put in practice in our own lives when we hit rock bottom. Well, let's unpack it. Let's look at it. Number one, and we'll put it in the form of two steps. There's step one and there's step two that we need to take when we hit rock bottom. And step number one is to live by faith in the Lord. Now, Why did Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem? Because they heard what? They heard the news that God had visited his people by giving them bread. In other words, they heard that food was now in Bethlehem again. And not just a small amount of food. Listen, they arrived again at the beginning of barley season or the barley harvest. And so there was this harvest of food. And the availability of food, though, we need to consider, did not automatically alleviate their hunger. In other words, someone had to go get that food. Someone had to, in our vernacular, bring home the bacon. So the most pressing issue at this moment in the Naomi and Ruth's lives was how to get some of this food that was now in Bethlehem. So what we have at the very beginning of the chapter here are the two desperate widows. Ruth and Naomi, notice this here, are hungry with no one to provide them with food and no one to protect them from harm. Now, again, although Bethlehem is once again this house of bread, it was no buffet for Ruth and Naomi. Remember, they had no crop of their own to harvest. They had no money of their own to buy food from someone else. And Naomi gave no indication that Boaz, who was actually a relative of her deceased husband, was available to even help them out. Now, although the writer of Ruth here is letting us know as the audience, the reader here, He's letting us know in advance in the very first verse that God is actually working behind the scenes to meet their needs through Boaz. But at this moment in time, Ruth and Boaz, I mean Ruth and Naomi, have no idea what God is doing just yet. So the immediate situation for these two widows is nothing short of devastation. 
and desperation. They're broke. They're hungry. And we might say the refrigerator is empty. And that's when one woman takes a step of faith. And of course, that one woman is Ruth. Ruth takes the initiative to glean in the fields for food. Ruth looks at her mother-in-law and says in verse 2 to her, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now that's faith in action. And Naomi wasn't about to stop her. So she says in verse 2, Go, my daughter. Thus we open chapter 2 on the subject of favor and grace. Now, at this point, again, Ruth doesn't know. She has no idea who might show her grace or favor. But she's hoping and she's trusting the Lord that someone will. Now, we know from the rest of the story that God has been at work already behind the scenes preparing people like Boaz. And now his plan is about to unfold in the most unlikely way. Which means, for our own selves, God is already at work in our own lives, providing solutions for problems we don't even know we have yet. Why? Because God is always at work, even in the worst of times. So what kind of worker was Ruth? Well, she was a hard worker. She was a diligent worker. Verse 7 tells us, she came and has continued from morning until now, although she rested a little in the house. Later on in verse 17, it says, she gleaned in the field until evening. And so Ruth shows her character by not wallowing in self-pity, but instead by her willingness to work hard to provide for herself and her mother-in-law. There's no doubt that this is recorded for us because God wants us to see this in Ruth. In fact, God wants us to admire and even imitate Ruth's faith and character in our own lives. You know, in many ways, Ruth is an example of the Proverbs 31 woman. She takes the initiative to care for her mother-in-law. Ruth is humble, she is meek in her dealings with Boaz's servants, and she works hard from sunup to sundown. And these are all worthy traits to admire and imitate, and they will serve Ruth well in the next chapter. Now, before we move on, let's stop here and kind of talk about what it means to glean in the fields. Well, gleaning in the fields was God's welfare to work program for the poor. This was God's way, in other words, of providing for the poor through a provision that was made in the law of Moses. We find in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, and it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Why? Well, it says, leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Later on, it says in Deuteronomy 24, 19, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. 
Why? Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. In other words, the poor were not simply to depend on handouts. Instead, it was their responsibility to glean in the fields for food, just as it was the landowner's responsibility to leave something behind for them to glean. Now, gleaning is the work of picking up grain that's left behind from the reapers. And it was hard work. And not necessarily safe work either, since it depended on the goodwill of the landowners and the reapers. And it was especially dangerous for a woman like Ruth, who had no family to protect her or to call on in distress. And yet, what do we find here? Here's Ruth, a Moabite foreigner, taking the initiative to glean in the fields for food when it would have been much easier for her to just give up and run back to her family and false gods in Moab. Now, perhaps she heard somewhere along the way what God said in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, where it says, He, that is God, executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So perhaps Ruth thought to herself, Hey, that's me. I'm a widow. I'm an alien. I'm a stranger, in other words, living in God's land with God's people. And so I'm going to go and glean, and God will protect and provide for me. I'm trusting my new God. That's what living by faith is all about. It means taking God at his word and acting upon it. Listen, this is what Ruth is doing. She is stepping out in faith that somewhere in Bethlehem was a generous, God-fearing landowner who would make room for the poor like her and that there would be left over something to glean from. Now, faith doesn't simply just sit around waiting for provision to just magically drop down from heaven. No, we are called to do what we can. And as we do, to then trust that God will provide for all our needs. This is what Ruth is doing. She is setting this example for even us today. She is living by faith in the Lord. And that is the first step. Listen, when you hit rock bottom, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't give up your faith in God. Instead, take a step of faith in God and do what you know to do according to God's word. God often meets our needs through faithful obedience to him. And as you live by faith, Ruth then shows us a second step to take. And that is, look for the grace of God at work. Look for the grace of God at work, even in your life. Now, at this point in the story, Boaz comes on the scene. So who's Boaz? Well, he becomes the central character in the rest of the story in this little book of Ruth. We're introduced to Boaz here in verse 1, where it says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth. 
of the family of Elimelech. His name is Boaz. And so immediately we find out that Boaz is a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. Which means that things are not nearly as bleak as Naomi suggested on the road back home to Bethlehem. We also find out that Boaz is a man of great wealth. Which could also be translated as a man of standing or a man of valor. In other words, Boaz has integrity. Boaz has influence in the community. He's a man worthy of respect. But more important than that, verse 4 tells us that Boaz is a man of God when he greets his workers. The Lord be with you. And they answered back to him, the Lord bless you. So get this, Boaz not only knows the Lord, but he also shows the Lord to his workers. Now this is amazing. In fact, this is astonishing. Because do you remember the context of the whole book of Ruth? It was during what days? It was during the days when the judges ruled and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And yet, here's a man of God who was doing what was right in God's eyes even in the darkest days of Israel's history. Which just goes to show us that no matter how sinful our culture may be, it is always possible to follow Jesus Christ and do the right thing. Let's pick up the story here in verse 3. It says, Then she, speaking to Ruth, left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now remember, when Ruth set out to glean in the fields, she was looking for someone to show her favor. And this word favor is the idea of grace. To show her favor or grace. And God is going to use Boaz to do just that, to show her favor. But again, Ruth has no idea yet what God was doing behind the scenes. She is simply stepping out by faith. She is trusting God to come through for her. And so as Ruth steps out by faith to glean in the fields, two remarkable things happened in her life as a result of God's grace at work in her life. So what are these two remarkable things that just so happened to happen in Ruth's life? Well, notice here. Divine coincidence guides Ruth to the fields of Boaz. Divine coincidence guides Ruth to the fields of Boaz. Look what it says in verse 3. So she set out, we're talking about Ruth again, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Wow! Out of all the fields in Bethlehem, Ruth just so happened to pick the field of Boaz. This must be Ruth's lucky day. But was this really Ruth's lucky day? Was this really purely coincidental? No way. Listen, the writer of Ruth here, the writer of this book, doesn't believe in luck or chance Rather, the writer is using this little expression in an ironic way to get our attention. So how did Ruth just so happen to pick the field of Boaz? The answer is God. 
Listen, God's hand of providence guided Ruth's steps so that she happened to come to the field of Boaz. As one commentator writes, there were no lights flashing. There was no band playing on Boaz's field. There were no voices saying, turn left and go through that gate. And so from a human perspective, Ruth just happened to glean in Boaz's field by accident. But from God's perspective, though, Ruth was in Boaz's field by his providential design. As Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, this has huge implications for our lives even today. So much that happens in our lives that's good to us, we, we call it what? Luck. Oh, I got lucky today. I got in line and nobody was in front of me. Or it went faster than the other line. Or, or maybe something bigger. I got, hey, I got lucky. I got a check in the mail. Or I, I finally got my stimulus check. Or whatever it may be. We, all, we call it luck. But it's not luck. Notice God's hand in our luck. Nothing in life happens by accident, chance, or luck. It happens by the gracious hand of God's providence. And so here's the lesson for us. God is working behind the scenes to accomplish His good purposes in our lives. Nothing occurs by coincidence or chance, including bad things and good things. God is at work in our lives even when we don't see Him. We think nothing of day-to-day encounters and so-called accidents of history, but we would do well to look closely at chance events in our lives. Listen, we might just find the Lord himself working in the shadows behind them because God is constantly working with us, in us, and through us in order to accomplish his redemptive purposes. So the first remarkable thing that just so happened in Ruth's life was this divine coincidence that guided her to the fields of Boaz. The second remarkable thing that just so happened is divine comfort. Divine comfort now sustains Ruth in the fields of Boaz. So you have divine coincidence, but now we see this divine comfort. Now think about it with me. As a widow who has left everything behind to follow the Lord and done so with a bitter bitter mother-in-law, how much comfort do you think Ruth has received up to this point as a stranger in Bethlehem? Probably not a whole lot. Do you think Ruth is feeling maybe just a little bit anxious about her life? Perhaps even second-guessing herself as she commits to the one true living God. Do you think God knows that? Do you think God knows that Ruth could use a little comfort, even a little reassurance in her life? Absolutely. And that's exactly what God is going to do for her again through Boaz. In fact, Boaz becomes a channel of God's grace to Ruth. Through Boaz, God protects Ruth from harm and provides Ruth with food. The grace and kindness that Boaz shows Ruth is extraordinary. 
fact, let's read about it again. Notice in this in verses 4 and 5, it says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Now, picture the scene. This is the first time Boaz sees Ruth in person. Is it love at first sight? We don't know. But what we do know is that Ruth probably doesn't look her best about now. Why? Because she's been gleaning in the fields, and so she's probably hot and sweaty and dirty and tired from working in the fields. Verse 6 tells us, And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She, speaking to Ruth about Ruth, is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And so the rumors about Ruth have already spread through Bethlehem. Everyone knows that she's this widow from Moab. Verse 7 continues, and it says, She said, that is Ruth said to the foreman of the reapers, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So God, through his gracious providence, has put Ruth in front of Boaz. And now they are going to have their very first conversation. Verse 8, let's look at it. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Now what Boaz is doing here is he is actually providing community for Ruth. Remember, she's new to town. She doesn't know anybody, and she doesn't have any friends yet. And so Boaz is telling her, hey, you stick close to these ladies who are also gleaning in the fields, and they will become your friends. They will become your community. Boaz continues in verse 9, Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And so Boaz is now protecting her. In fact, you might call this the, uh, the very first sexual harassment policy in the Bible, as Boaz tells his young men, don't touch her, leave her alone. And then he tells Ruth in verse 9, And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now, being a Moabite woman, the custom would have been for Ruth to draw water from the well and give the men something to drink first. But Boaz reverses it. And in so doing, what he does is he honors Ruth, and he treats her with dignity. Now, can you imagine the impact these words must have had on Ruth, the outsider? And these are the first kind words she has heard since she left Moab. And they are coming from a man she doesn't even know. Remember, Ruth doesn't have a clue yet that Boaz is a relative of Elimelech. So how would you respond if you were Ruth? Well, look how Ruth responds in verse 10. Then she fell on on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, so that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz says to Ruth in verses 11 and 12, 
All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. In other words, Boaz already knows all about it. He knows the story of Ruth and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, I also find it interesting in this scene here. In the midst of it all, I find it interesting that nothing is said about the appearance of Ruth. Whether or not she is beautiful on the outside appears irrelevant to Boaz. Why? Because what impressed Boaz the most is not Ruth's outward appearance, but her inward character, her heart. You see, Boaz recognized Ruth's commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and more importantly, Boaz recognized Ruth's commitment to the one true God of Israel. You see, he saw that Ruth was turning her back, not just on her family, not just on her homeland, but also on her false gods and trusting the one true living God. No wonder Ruth is now comforted and perhaps a little overwhelmed by such amazing grace that is being shown to her. Ruth says to Boaz in verse 13, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Boaz was truly a channel of God's grace in Ruth's life. You could say God's grace now has a human face through Boaz. He even goes way beyond what was required of the Mosaic law in his provision for Ruth. In verses 14 and 16, we will see this next week, but he invites Ruth to dinner and tells his reapers to leave behind plenty of grain for her to glean. So why would Boaz treat Ruth with such grace that went way beyond the law's requirement? Because grace fulfills the law and then some. Because God had dealt graciously with Boaz. He treats others now with the same grace. You see, Boaz not only knows God's grace personally, but he now shows God's grace relationally to others. And so now Ruth, the outsider, has been made to feel welcome in God's family. She truly has found a new place to belong, a a new people to love, a, a new God to worship, a new peace in her heart. Now, let's just pause for a moment here. And let's kind of let all of this kind of sink in. Because this is amazing. Just think about where Ruth started and where she's at now. All because of the grace of God working in her life. At the beginning of Ruth chapter 2, there was seemingly no one to act on Ruth and Naomi's behalf as a protector and provider. But by the end of Ruth chapter 2 here, God had given them Boaz to protect them from harm and to provide them with food. Why? Because of the grace of God. 
And because of that grace working behind the scenes and ultimately even in Ruth's life, Ruth and Naomi are now moving from emptiness to fullness, from sorrow to joy, from tragedy to triumph, from bitterness to blessedness. But we also need to stop and ask a rather important question. And that is, why did Ruth find such amazing grace? And notice the answer. It's because Ruth sought refuge under the wings of God. That's key. Go back to verse 10 and notice what Ruth asked Boaz. She says, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? Since I'm a foreigner. No, I'm a stranger, a foreigner in this land. I'm an outsider. Ruth knows that she's a Moabite. And so she does not resent this, but she accepts it. It's just the reality of her life. And as a non-Israelite, she doesn't expect any special treatment. And yet she receives grace. And her response is astonishment. And the answer Boaz gives to Ruth is crucial. Look again what Boaz says in verse 11. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Now, does this mean that God wants us to think of Ruth's love for Naomi as a work that somehow merits Boaz's favor and even God's grace? Should we think of all of this, of this grace, as something now that we somehow earn? No. In fact, here's the reason why. One definition of grace is simply this. It's God's unmerited favor. In other words, grace is something we cannot earn. We cannot work for. That's why it's called grace. But notice the words of Boaz in verse 12. It says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so the picture here is that God is a a winged eagle, and Ruth is this threatened little eaglet coming to find safety under the eagle's wings. The implication is that God will reward Ruth because she has done one thing. She has stepped out in faith. She has trusted God. And she has done so by taking refuge under his wings. Now, this is common teaching all through the Old Testament. We don't have time to to do a study on all this, but just listen to this one example in Psalm 57.1 where it says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. So why should God show mercy and grace to Ruth? Because she has done one thing. She has sought refuge under his wings. Ruth has counted God's protection better than all others. Ruth has set her heart on God 
for her hope and joy. And when a person does that, let me tell you, God will be merciful and God will act on, with grace on your behalf. Now, is that not the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ as well? The message of the gospel is that God will show mercy and grace to anyone who humbles himself like Ruth did and takes refuge under the wings of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's actually an interesting dialogue that takes place between Jesus and the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. Listen to what it says in verse 37. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to her. And this is Jesus speaking. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. In other words, Jesus is telling the Pharisees that all they had to do was to take refuge under the wings of Jesus as their Messiah, as their Savior. In other words, they needed to stop justifying themselves, stop relying on themselves, stop glorifying themselves, but humble themselves under the wings of Jesus Christ as their coming Messiah. Well, the application is rather clear. Don't be like the Pharisees. Instead, be like Ruth. Listen, God is looking for people who will put their trust in Him by taking refuge under His wings. Which brings us to the lesson of hope from the fields of Boaz. Listen, if we, if I will, if you will, if we will faithfully trust and obey, God will graciously guide and provide. Remember, what was Ruth's request when she stepped out in faith to glean in the fields? Her one request is that God would give her favor in someone's eyes. And what does God do for Ruth? God graciously responds to her act of faith. She finds favor in the eyes of Boaz. And get this. The God who took care of Ruth, that's our God too. We can trust Him. The God who hung the stars in space is also the God who numbers the hairs on your very head. So that the God who took care of Ruth is the same God who takes care of us. We can trust Him. So why should it surprise us that God arranges for Ruth to just happen to glean in a field owned by Boaz? After all, no one saw it clearly that day in Bethlehem. Ruth didn't see it. Naomi didn't see it. And neither did Boaz. God's plan would only become clear later on in history. And that's the way it is for all of us. In fact, it is not till you get to Matthew chapter 1 that this plan that we're seeing of God working out through Ruth and Boaz really doesn't come full picture clearly until Matthew chapter 1 when you have the genealogy of Jesus and who is in the genealogy? Ruth. And now you begin to understand the redemptive purposes of God working through Boaz and Ruth here. I like how John Piper says it in application for our own lives. 
He says, God is doing perhaps 10,000 things in your life right now. You understand maybe three of those things. We can't imagine all the different ways God is working all things for our own good in his glory. Or we can put this, put it this way. We don't know what we don't know. We are like little children peering through a keyhole. We see a tiny bit, but the rest is hidden from our view. Only later will we begin to piece together God's fingerprints on the circumstances of life. This truth, listen, ought to build our faith. God is at work in the worst of times. This truth, it ought to humble us as well because we are not smart enough to figure out everything God is doing behind the scenes. We're human. We're just not. We don't see it, and we can't always figure out what God is doing. Who can figure out and understand this pandemic? No one can. But we know it's not by accident. We know God is still working in it and through it. And this truth... It ought to give us hope. Listen, God knows what he is doing, even when our current situation makes no sense at all. And so, like Ruth, may we, may we live out Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. May this scripture, may it be a personification of our own lives, even today as we go about our lives as this pandemic is hopefully coming to an end and we're getting on the other side of it let us personify proverbs 3 5 and 6 like ruth did trust in the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And as we bow our heads, even where you're watching from home, I invite you to God's grace. I invite you to bow before the Lord and take refuge under the wings of God. I invite you to God's grace by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you need to. He gave us salvation as a gift. And so just don't come with hands full. Come to him with hands empty like Ruth. And he will provide you with forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We pray that you would enable us as we hear your call to trust you. To put our fears to death. To cling to your providence and provision. Thank you that even when we wander away to pursue us, that you still follow. Help us to come back and to surrender our hearts anew to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.